Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. We are doing a series over the next couple of podcasts on personalities and different personality assessments. And the reason that we're doing this is because the way that we are wired is different. Every single person is wired a unique and different way. And there are many different assessments out there that people use to get greater insight into themselves, but also should be used to get greater insight into their spouse, their partner, their boyfriend or girlfriend as well. So we are going to dive deep into some of these most popular personality assessments and really figure out what are they measuring? What are they telling us about ourselves and how can we use that information to show up better in our relationships? In today's episode, we are covering Myers-Briggs. This is a longstanding personality assessment. It's been around at least 45 to 50 years, highly valid, highly reliable. It's been tested in many different ways, which is something I always look for. And we're going to be talking with Dr. Tim Atkinson about it. He is a master practitioner of the Myers-Briggs. And he's going to help us figure out what is the Myers-Briggs? What are all of these letters that go into it? And how can we relate to people who are different than us? By the end of this episode, I believe that you will have a really good sense of where you fall on the Myers-Briggs test. I figured out that I am an ENFJ. And my husband is definitely the opposite of me. And you'll hear some of those insights as we speak. You'll be able to realize what you are. You may have a sense of what your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend is, but the goal is not for you to diagnose. The goal is for you to get insight and realize that you can be two totally different people. But when you seek to understand each other, that is where the magic happens. Before we dive into the podcast, please leave a review. I am really trying to get to 200 reviews of the podcast on Apple by the end of the year. And here's why. It's not just a vanity metric, although it would be very great to get to 200 reviews. It really helps this podcast serve and reach more people. That is the way that Apple looks at it. And that is that's why I'm asking you to do it and share this podcast with someone else. If you know someone who's either your best friend or someone else who's going through some relationship difficulties or just wants to understand themselves more, this is such a fun podcast episode to share with them. And you can easily do that from within the app that you're listening on, especially in Apple Podcasts. Just text it to your friend right now, even. I do it all of the time. It'll keep playing for you. So please leave that review and share this with a friend. Let's dive into today's episode. Physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. These are the four areas of attraction, or as us insiders like to call it, the pies. Join me, Kimberly Beam Holmes, as we speak with other experts around the world on how to become the most attractive that you can be. Create confidence and find happiness. We will teach you how. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. People ask me all the time, Kimberly, which area of my pies should I focus on first? And the answer to that question is the one where you need to see the most growth. 
That is why I have created an attraction assessment. This free assessment is designed to help you learn what areas of attraction you should be working and focusing on first. This will be the foundation of your journey to becoming a more attractive person to your spouse, to your friends and family, but most of all, to yourself. Click the link in the show notes to take the free assessment today. Dr. Atkinson, I'm so excited to talk with you today about Myers-Briggs and understand how that works, what it measures, and how it affects people when they know their results. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Yeah. Well, let's start with just, can you explain what is the Myers-Briggs test and what is it assessing when people take it? You know, that's the biggest uh, question we get all the time. And um, the best way to explain it is that Isabel Briggs Myers read Carl Jung's uh, psychology and decided, hey, we can break this down into something that's usable and that people can understand. And that's actually the most, um, you know, significant component of the Myers-Briggs in that it is accessible, it's intuitive, it's understandable, and it's a great starting place for people when they want to understand themselves and understand others. So it's, it's grounded in psychology, but it's also been tested for 40 years and it's valid and reliable instruments. So you can depend on the results, but as you can see, probably as we go through this, you can depend on them to a certain point. Then I'll, I'll explain how that, that works if you want uh, later. So. Absolutely. But I have to ask, so it's the Myers Briggs, but her name was Briggs Myers. Right. It was her, it was her daughter also helped. So, uh, they, they combined it as Myers Briggs. So it was Isabel Briggs Myers and her daughter actually helped develop the instrument. So they call it the Myers Briggs. How fun. I love that. Okay. So what are the four, because there's four letters for those who, who don't know, but probably most people do. There's four letters in the Myers Briggs that are being assessed. So can you walk through what those are and the, the two sides of, of each of them? You know, that's a great question, and I'm, and I'm glad you couched it that way. There are actually six letters, but your, your results are represented as four. So you, you'll get one of each of the dichotomy in your four letters. And there's a lot of misconceptions about the letters, really. Um, and the one that I think people, or the dichotomy that people talk about the most is extroversion and introvert, introversion. And, um, Extroversion and introversion are probably uh, not what you think they are in the popular media. For instance, I can go ahead and tell you my letters as a starting point. I'm, I've test or um, my results are INFP. So I am introverted, but that doesn't mean shy. I think the common misconception about introversion is that introverts are shy. And that's, that's not the case at all. There might be some shy introverts out there. But introversion itself or the measurement only measures uh, your inner world. So people who are introverted have a strong and rich inner world. They like getting their energy from dealing with ideas. Um, They like um, the idea of something maybe sometimes better than the real thing. They're reflective. They're reserved. Uh, They take the time to reflect. Those are the introverted sort of the basic introversion characteristics so you may appear shy to other people because you're reserved but extroversion on the on the other hand is are is where you get your energy from the outer world um if uh, the statement i like getting my energy from active involvement in activities you know all the time you're probably extroverted it doesn't always mean outgoing but 
uh, when you solve problems, you bounce these problems and ideas off other people, uh, get your energy from working with other people. You have a lot of friends and you keep a lot of people around you. Whereas introverts tend to, you know, pick one or two really good, you know, people to hang around. So depending on um, how you answer the questions in the assessment, you will, uh, your facet scores will lean one way or the other, but it means sometimes we have a little bit of both. And we can talk about that later if you want. Um, the second dichotomy is sensing and intuition. And um, there's a little misperception about what these mean as well, but basically sensors are more um, interested in the physical reality, uh, facts, practical use of things, um, experience speaks louder than words, if that's your motto. Uh, whereas intuition are people who really are paying attention to the impressions or the meanings of things. And as a, as an INFP, I can tell you that when the I and the N interact, it's, you can, you seem like you have a kind of a strange personality, I think sometimes because you're really thinking about things and you're not sharing them with other people. And then when you do share them with other people, specifically uh, extroverts and, and sensors, they look at you kind of funny. So that, you know, for as relationships go, you know, just think about, you, you tend to think about, well, that person's probably very intuitive. They're thinking about things and they haven't really shared those ideas with other people yet. So it can seem kind of strange, but, um, if you're intuitive or in again, intuition, I N T U I T I O N, you know, is not, is not an I because there's already an I in the dichotomy. So they use the, the letter N for that. Um, and uh, most uh, int intuitives remember events by reading between the lines. You've ever interacted with somebody like that? You know, they're probably an intuitive. Uh, whereas sensors really like the pragmatic, start with the facts kind of way of looking at things. Um, the other dichotomy, and I can tell you, you want to talk about getting along with people. Um, I'm in a relationship. Uh, with someone, and I can tell you that for the thinking and feeling dichotomy, which I'm going to talk about next, is something that you can is a really good conversation starter when there's conflict. For instance, um, if you test or assess in the T or the thinking area, um, you make decisions based on the facts. Um, you're you try to be impersonal and impartial. You notice inconsistencies inconsistencies a lot, and you're very focused on the logic of things, making decisions in your head and wanting to be fair, you know, without any bias. If you um, assess as the F in this dichotomy, you make the best decisions by weighing how people feel about them or how you feel about the situation. Um, values are important for the F, the person who tests F. Um, the uh, people is, are, are really people are the foundation of the person who, tests at F. Now the pitfalls of being an F is that sometimes you fail to make decisions uh, because you're really busy weighing the pros and cons of how this affects people. And with um, people who test NT, they sometimes miss or value the people part of things. And I want to um, stress that at this point, that if you test as a T and you're a very strong T on the scale, it doesn't mean you don't care about people. That's a common misconception. You actually do. It's just not the first place you go. Whereas with people who test F, people's the first place, first place you go. So that's a, that's something we can dig into if you want. And then the other, the other, the final part of the dichotomy is either J or P judging or perceiving. 
And the first thing I want to say about judging is that it doesn't mean you judge people. That's a huge misconception. It doesn't have anything to do with how you look at other people. It just means that uh, when you make decisions, you prefer a planned, orderly way of doing it. You make lists. Um, you're task-oriented. You're the person when you go on vacation that you make a list of everything you're going to do before you go so that you can fit it all in. Um, the dichotomy, the perceiving side of that is, though, if you test in P, you use this perceiving function um, to uh, be flexible, spontaneous, um, stay open to new experiences. Uh, being a P, I can tell you that I make a list and then I forget where the list is. I, don't, I, don't, I throw the list out the window and I make a new list. And that's kind of how, you know, in, in my current relationship, because my partner and we understand each other in this area, we, that's where we stop and we have a conversation and say, well, this is me not planning. I might take the time to make a list. <laughs> so you, you begin that conversation of, of, of falling out of your preference and and beginning to uh, share a little bit of the judging space uh, with the other person in the relationship. So it's a really powerful tool. If I can say one more thing, I know I've talked a lot. If I can say one more thing, the IN, the, um, the Myers-Briggs assessment, it really is not a test, and it doesn't diagnose anything. So whatever your results are, uh, I, I warn people, I, I mean, it's a lot of fun to take the assessment online. There's a bunch of them out there. Be a little bit careful about the interpretation uh, because the Myers-Briggs company actually updates uh, the assessment every now and then and keeps it current with different populations in different parts of the world. So be really careful with that. It doesn't fit every population, but it, it doesn't diagnose anything. It doesn't tell you that there's anything wrong with you. As a matter of fact, it's just a conversation starter for everything that's wonderful about you. So don't be afraid of it. Don't use it. Don't, and also don't live your letters. Don't walk around saying I'm an INFP. So this is about to happen. It's not really for that, but it does help you start the conversation with other people about what your preferences are. It's just a preference assessment. And so if you didn't have any of any of the world pushing on you in daily life, you would, you would revert or fall back to these perceptions first. So that's the Myers-Briggs uh, in a nutshell. Now, you said there were six things that were measured or six dichotomies. Is that mm -hmm. right? Well, there are there are four dichotomies, uh, four dichotomies, but there are six letters, right? Six letters. All right. So extroversion and introversion are the first dichotomy, uh -huh. sensing and intuition, um, uh -huh. thinking and feeling, uh -huh. and judging and perceiving. And yes. um so each of those dichotomies are are op equals and opposites, um, you know, so uh, where you, for instance, with judging and perceiving, if you're a list maker, you're probably a J. If you don't make lists and you're spontaneous, you're likely a P. Uh, so um, but it doesn't mean you don't make lists to get things done just because you assess at a P. It's just a preference of how things should be or how you'd like them to be if you, you know, you controlled your own world. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. one way of looking at it. So when people are in relationship, do you, do you see that people are typically in relationship with people opposite of them? Or do you see that people are typically in relationship with people more similar, or is it really just a mix across of them? Well, that's a really funny. So in my life, I've been 
have been in relationships with people who are opposites and similar. I don't know that it uh, necessarily falls out like that. There are some other assessments out there that do link people based on type uh, and some of the same dimensions are tested there. Uh, But I do see people just sort of anecdotally saying that, wow, you know, opposites do attract. I'm always in, you know, in in a relationship with someone who's a little more outgoing than me. Or I've also heard people say, you know, I need to have somebody who's introverted like me. So there's not a whole bunch of talking all the time, (laughs) something (laughs) like that. Um, So, which is, which is kind of really uh, kind of a reductionist uh, view of the assessment in itself. But it's true. I think, I think we intuitively, we tend to uh, be attracted to people who are are like-minded and um, to kind of get a feel for that. Again, it's a tiny window into the full personality, but to get an idea of uh, where to go and to start that conversation with a person, this, this is a really good, uh, I think is a good assessment for that, that conversation and getting to know somebody for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love how you said using it as the conversation starter. So mm-hmm. simply let this just be a window into who and how each of you operate, but, but also not using it as a, well, because I'm this, I'm not going to change or be flexible because that's not the best way to do it either. Right. That's exactly right. I think when, uh, young wrote his, um, his research and, um, Isabel Briggs Myers and, you know, put this together, they, that's why they wanted to use it so that we could understand ourselves in an effort to understand others better. So it's, it's definitely a tool for, it's, it's a good tool for relationships. It's a good tool for team building, uh, because when we understand the preferences of another person, you would hope we'd think that people would begin to respect that and, and make adjustments. And we do make adjustments. And as we get older, uh, we learn to, uh, you know, begin to exercise those areas that might uh, be a little less um, dominant. In my case, for instance, use me as an example, um, you know, as a, as an introvert, uh, I've learned that I need to bounce my ideas off other people before I decide on what that is. So that's a big mistake of mine. I think, you know, my own ideas in my own little world, these are great ideas, you know, and in academia, that's kind of weird. So when you bounce that off somebody else and you have conversations about them, they, you're better able to formulate those ideas into something that's, uh, you know, maybe understandable or more widely accepted and also shave off some of those uh, rough edges that, that you didn't think about when you were thinking about them in your own little world. So I've learned to exer- exercise that trait over the years. Um, also not learning to, to pay attention to my own intuition. Uh, you know, um, it, it's important to bring in the facts and experience the physical world, you know, more often than it is to just uh, rely on that uh, thinking in the cloud, if you will. So what's really interesting too, I, I will go ahead. If you have another question, go ahead. I, well, on that, do do people's change over time? Is this something that you've seen be fluid through life based on how people grow? Well, the research shows that it's pretty stable over time, but I think people probably uh, in, in the later years, maybe uh, in the later part of their latter part of their career, it tends to, what happens is the facet scores so either end of the dichotomy, if you will, so extroversion, introversion, introversion being one end, extroversion being the other, there's also a center point. So depending on how you answered each of the questions in the, in, the, uh, in the assessment, you could squeeze down toward the middle a little bit. 
I pegged introversion, you know, 20 years ago, and then now it's moved more down to the center because some of those questions I answer as an extrovert. For the most part, though, it doesn't change as far as your four letters. The four letters are comprised of so many dimensions that there's plenty of room to move. So it makes sense. You were going to go into Do you remember the, what you were about to go into? Well, I didn't want to talk about me so much. It's really good. I mean, I, I understand my personality type, but you know, I am in a relationship um, with a woman who is uh, ENT, um, E-N, uh, actually E-S-T-J. So she's the exact opposite, exact opposite. of me in every, um, in every way. And so that's, but it's, it makes for a great relationship because we understand each other's dimensions and we know we're complete opposites. And, Whenever there is conflict, uh, it's easy to say. Now, this this takes some practice. It's not an overnight thing, uh, but it ta- it's easy to say. Well, that's just me, um, maybe being a little selfish and 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 you know leaning toward my preference to be alone uh, a little more, you know, or leaning toward my preference to just live off the cuff for a little while. Because you 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 know when you practice kind of living in the balance you get tired if your preference is to be you know uh, living off the cuff not making you know not having to make any decisions not having to make any list to just want to be you know that can cause some conflict and because we understand we each understand those things we um we know then to start a conversation about hey we're not really uh, having a conflict about who you are and who I am. We're having a conflict about what my preference is right now. So it's a really good, it's a good place to, again, begin that conversation. So that's how I like to use it for sure. Mm-hmm. So let's go back through them. The the Is there a name for each dichotomy other than just like the EI one? The, the well, yeah. Um, so the, the EI is the, is, is what we call uh, how you like that's that's the the way you uh, interact with your um, your world. Uh, there's not a real there now. There are functional types. The two letters that end up in the middle are there in the middle for a reason. Uh, in the way Myers Briggs set it up, and that's called a functional type. And I'm glad you asked that question because once you get the four letters, you're really not done. So I encourage anybody who knows their four letters to dig a little deeper or to find somebody who can interpret interpret your results because you may find there are deeper meanings in each of the ones that, um, that in, in, in each of the, um, uh, dimensions that you're dealing with. So for instance, um, what you may find, um, uh, with, um, let's like down to, uh, judging and perceiving, you, you realize that with your functional type that, when you're perceiving, which is the way you interact with the rest of the world, if you test as an S or an I, which is the second letter, you're either S or I in the second letter, then people are going to perceive you as being flexible and spontaneous. And whereas on the judging side, uh, it interacts with the, the third letter in the, in the, in the four letters, uh, people are going to see you as thinking, outwardly thinking or outwardly feeling. So they do interact, and and then the functional group in the middle, the two letters in the middle do interact as a functional group. 
uh, like NPs in my case, NFs in my case, apologize, it's actually NP, uh, NF. I keep messing that up. Uh, <laughs> NFs, you know, are intuitive and intuitive and feeling. And, and those people do seem outwardly very reflective. Um, I never knew that. You know, and, and people have told me that before, and it's actually a surprise, you know, because you don't really know uh, all the time how you are perceived by other people. So the, the internal functional groups are really very important. Uh, I don't know if you have enough, we might not have enough time to go into the science of how those work, uh, but once you get the, um, once you get the four letters or assess and, and generate the four letters for your basic personality type you're on your way to beginning to understand yourself and others really well so Hmm. that's fascinating i never knew that the you could combine like based on the connection or correlation between some of your letters there's more there's more to that there's more that you can really get from it and understanding yourself there really is and the dominant trait the the trait you know you exercise um, and it's a little more intuitive and a little less scientific, but uh, in a session, you know, you might say your dominant trait, you know, is intuition, uh, then that will affect uh, how you uh, represent yourself in the other uh, dimensions. And my dominant, uh, you know, my dominant dimensions intuition is in, is introversion, which means that, you know, if you look at the, how it's calculated, it says I'm, I have, in, you know, I'm introverted feeling. But that's not the case in my relationships. Uh, in my relationships, I'm very extroverted feeling, and a lot of people are. And that's important to know. So, you know, ex- uh, you, you, in your dominant trait, you're actually extroverted. You know, you actually do talk about feelings. You do talk about uh, things. And when I'm talking about things like this, I get very extroverted. So these, this is very, you know, in some ways very abstract, yet it's interesting and it's about people. And then I appear actually appear very extroverted. So the dominant, the dominant trait uh, really has a lot of control over how you're perceived by other people. So it's really important to drill down into the assessment and really understand the facet scores and and learn how people perceive you as well. Mm -hmm. So we've talked some about how people could perceive an an extrovert versus an introvert. Is there anything else that you think is important to dive into that one? Cause I want to go through each of the four and say, okay, like if, if you're an, and I'm going to get all the letters mixed up because I don't know them as well as you do, but for the second one, if you're an N or an F. Right. No, no. That's a, no it's N or, oh, so it's N or S. So N or it's, S. it's sense so, or intuition. Right. Okay. So we'll just go through all of them and say, okay, if you're an S, what do you need to understand about how the N's are? If you're an N, what do you need to understand about an S? So is there anything else with the E and the I? Sure. That's a fantastic way. It's really a fantastic way to start the conversation about the the differences between the the two dichotomies, because I think some people uh, view extroversion and introversion as natural enemies. Uh, If you're not, so if you're extroverted, uh, then anybody who's introverted, you don't have time for, you think there's something wrong with them. Uh, they don't fit into the world. What's going on, get with the program, you know, which is really not the approach because you may find that some, especially in business, that some of your solutions are hidden deep within the introverted, you know, constant non-expressive, you know, thought. So we tell people in meetings, for instance, when you're conducting a meeting, 
and uh, people, um, introverts don't like to talk in meetings. There's a, there's a moment in that meeting when the leader should say or point different people out and say, I really want to hear, uh, what, you know, Sally has to say about this. I really want to hear what Tina has to say about this or Sam and give them the opportunity, uh, to speak. And if they say they don't have anything more to say, you can, you can, you can say in the meeting, well, the meeting's not done until I have heard from everybody and I will visit you you know, later to see if you had any thoughts on the matter uh, after the meeting's over. And that really gives the introverts an opportunity to feel included, especially if you have an extroverted uh, leader who may, uh, you know, might ignore uh, the fact that the introverts are just simply waiting and reflecting and thinking. So that's the one good way to think about it. And it's also a good way to think about maybe if you're having an argument uh, with somebody you know, uh, introverts might, um, not argue, uh, they might close up because they want to think about the situation and see what first did I do something wrong? What's going on here? All of those things have to be processed. Whereas the extrovert just wants to get it out and talk it out and, and, you know, and get it over with and do it, you know, let's do this thing now. So that, that might cause some, cause some problems, but I think, I think we have to be, you know, introverts might think, Hey, extroverts are talking too much. Well, wait a minute. It's a good good time to say, let's hear what they have to say because it might inform some of the things that I'm thinking. So that's one one way to think about it. That's great. Okay, so let's talk about the S and N. The sensing and the intuition. Yes, that's a really good one too. Now these don't typically pop up as natural enemies, uh, but uh, in organizations and in re- relationships, um, so. The sensors are those people, you know, they're the, just the facts and nothing but the facts. Um, I don't, we don't really have time for pie in the sky. Um, you know, we don't have time to, uh, you know, think about this, uh, or, or develop new, you know, ideas just yet, or we don't have time to deal with impressions or, or we aren't really interested in patterns. What I see, feel, touch you know, what I can taste, what I can smell, that's the reality of the situation. And there really is no other reality, even though, you know, if you're dominant sensory, you're probably thinking, even though I know there's another reality out there, the, the reality of ideas, I'm not really willing to go there just yet. So um, it's important then um, if, you know, you're intuitive, like speaking for myself and what I've learned, um, it's okay to have um, and pay attention to and be comfortable with impressions and meanings and patterns, but it's really important to, nor- to flesh those things out before presenting them as ideas and facts. And that's hard to do, and, and that's why I think we find a lot of um, you know people even in in research who are intuitives. Um, intuitives are actually the big picture thinkers, you know, in leadership. Um, uh, they actually see, uh, the entire forest, you know, they know that it's made up of a bunch of trees, whereas the sensors want to touch, you know, each tree and, and make sure it's there. So, uh, it's, it's sort of sometimes a battle between pragmatism and, you know, idealism. It really is. And, and it's okay to exercise both. Um, there's a lot of fun, uh, when you blend, you know, the two ideas in meetings, you know, it's, it's important to tell if somebody's uh, kind of sounding like they're just in idea, pie in the sky land, it's important for the leader maybe to say that sounds like a really great idea. 
why don't we flesh that out and talk about it online instead of diminishing uh, the, you know, diminishing it as not important, making it important maybe for a later time. And I've seen people do that before. And I think that takes a skill to hear that. Um, and then in relationships, I think intuitives um, express a lot about how they think the relationship should be, or maybe they have an impression of how they thought it might be. Whereas, you know, people who are more sensing what it is, is what it is. <laughs> there's nothing to figure out. You know, there's nothing to think about. Um, I'm here, you're here. What else is there to think about? You know, and, and that, that can, you know, it's important then to explore, you know, uh, maybe this, uh, uh, these ideas, you know, for sensors to explore the ideas and for the, for the people who are in like me to go, yeah, Hey, why don't I just accept the reality is, is, you know, you're here. Everything's cool. There's nothing wrong. Why am I worried about it? You know, so there might be some conversation starters there. So there's a lot to unpack in that. Um, so that uh, I won't go on because I know you want to cover <laughs> thinking and feeling. <laughs> well, I love, no, I love it because I'm just sitting here thinking I'm definitely an E. I'm definitely an N. My husband is definitely an I. Definitely yeah. an S. It's really fun. You can begin to kind of see, yes. you know, who you can pick them up, pick them out on the street sometimes, even, you know. Yeah. And I, I, thinker, you know? I think what's hard also about the N is it can be difficult to, to, to acknowledge maybe my intuition isn't right. I mean, maybe it's, you know, let, let's look at other facts and other ways this could happen or different perspectives because it, maybe it's not always because I'm very intuition, but also quick to act on it. Mm -hmm. And I don't really care about other ways or if it could be wrong. I'm like, let's just do it and see if it works. And then we'll figure it out later if it doesn't, which isn't, the best way to always do things. It's not optimal. It's true. It's not optimal. And I've done that. I do that all the time. You know, strong in, and I have to stop myself and go, let's add a little bit of, you know, roll this out gently kind of thing. But I do like to try things on. They don't work, throw them out, put another thing in there, you know? Um, And that's probably has a little bit to do with the P part of that too, because the P interacts with, uh, with those other letters as well. Mm. So the third set is, um, is thinking, is thinking and feeling. And, you know, the best, the best, um, sort of vignette I can give you, uh, from organizational life for thinking and feeling would be, let's say there's a committee that was established to develop a policy on drug use in the workplace. It, you know, and immediately people are like, Oh yeah, this is a good list. This is a good one. Let's see how this is going to go. And you have people who are strong T's and strong F's in the room. And, and let's say you're extroverted thinking and you're going to immediately come out on the table. I don't even know why we're meeting about this. If you come to work, you know, and you're high or you're drunk, you're going home. That's it. That's the end of it. You know, no questions asked. And then you got the feelers over there who are going, well, <laughs> let's look at this situation a little bit because maybe this person has a problem. Maybe they need our help. We need to open the door. We don't want to lose a lot of good talent because we haven't thought about, you know, immediately, you know, the thinkers are like, Oh gosh, we're not going to do this. So, you know, <laughs> you know, there's, there's this way of, you know, there's this balance you have to achieve, you know, and that, that might be where thinkers and feelers could really butt heads because uh, I think the people who test strong T uh, you know, it's technical, it's scientific, it's logical. Um, you know, there's no in between. Uh, and then 
let me think about the people later. And whereas feelers immediately, it's about the person, you know, it's, it's what's going on with them. Can we do anything to help them? You know, uh, we don't want to throw anybody out and make them lose their career just over one mistake. You know, that's, that's the feelers talking there. Um, you know, uh, and you know, and it's not always, and I understand this, it's not always good to just always make uh, feeling and make decisions with your heart. Uh, but I also believe as testing is a strong F is I think we make decisions with our heart all the time, whether you test strong T or F and it's, so this one you have to be careful with a little bit, but I think, uh, when you're in relationships, for instance, um, you know, if it's logical, uh, and all the facts are there, you know, uh, there's might not be, you know, you might appear to not have time for feelings, you know, or to talk about feelings and you don't like to talk about feelings and that's the last thing that's really important to you even though you have feelings you know uh it it doesn't mean that's something you want to talk about whereas you know maybe if you test strong f uh you you kind of start with that and then move into the other stuff later so Mm -hmm. um so how does it give us some tips of how to do this in relationships so if i'm a feeler married to a thinker which i mm -hmm. am Mm -hmm. then that, I mean, you make, you know, I'm more likely to think of the emotions and how, how that affected someone or how, what he just said affected me, where he's like this logical, right? This is the facts. This is the the way it is. So where can you find the common ground in those kinds of situations? Well, I think, um, again, it's, this is just a matter. It is a matter. This one's where I think the feelers can come in handy. Uh, it is a matter of the heart in relationships a lot of times. And, um, and I'm in a relationship, I'm a strong F in a relationship with a extreme T. And I think it's, um, you know, the way we handle it is that, look, I've got some feelings that are going on here and I want to talk about them. And I want to make sure that all of my facts are straight. So then that gets the attention of the thinker. I got a problem I want to solve here. I'm having these feelings. And when you, you couch it in terms of a problem, and then the, the T's like, well, I'm on it. You know, their brain's like, let's figure this thing out. And um, you may Especially find when you that, say, I want to get the facts straight. Exactly. Oh, facts. <laughs> oh, now we're talking. You know, so look, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling a little bit left out here. Uh, well, you're not being left out. Doesn't make me have that conversation. Why do you feel left out? I don't understand that. Well, um, if you, I start my conversations with my T <laughs> by saying, I want you to help me solve a problem here. I'm having some feelings that I think, you know, justify some discussion. And then if at the end of our conversation, it turns out I'm just full of it, good. But I want to get this out, you know, get this straight. And that, that seems to help a lot. Now, it does help for the other party to also understand the value of, of the Myers Briggs and, and, you know, and how they know they're perceived as well. So it helps in the conversation for mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely. So then we have the P and J, right? Uh, judging and perceiving Now this is another one. Now this, this is such a strong dichotomy in the workplace uh, and in relationships. Uh, I'll start re- with relationships this time. Cause I think people, you know, well, work is relationships too. So, so don't go too far down the road with that thought. I think, uh, so perceiving, for instance, let's start with me. I can, um, I can totally leave some dishes out for a little while after dinner, maybe on into the next day and I'll get them later. 
the people on the J side are like, no, we got to get that stuff cleaned up right now. <laughs> you know, it's not going to sit out. Uh, now, if they're a T and a J, they're going, because it's going to grow bacteria. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, yeah, well, maybe we can't leave that stuff sitting out. So, um, you know, so the perceivers, for instance, ah, you know, cleanup doesn't have to happen right now. Cleanup has to happen, but not right now, you know, and it's it doesn't mean you're lackadaisical. It just means that your um, sense of the urgency of things might be uh, on a different time scale. That's a good way to look at it. For instance, even deadlines, for instance, that people who test strong P um, really aren't, they're kind of working on things in their head. But when the deadline approaches, you know, week, maybe two or three days before the deadline, uh, boom, we're on it. You know, you know, I'm going to, you know, got that thing. I'm going to do my best work in three days. And that's usually how P's are. And that frustrates the J side because they're like, I'm working on it all along. I got a plan. I'm going to be working on this one hour on Tuesday, one hour on Wednesday, one hour. And then when the deadline comes, I'm going to wrap that thing up. And I'm going to just, you know, put it in the, you know, put it in the bin. It'll be um, done before deadline. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe even before C. That's, that's my P thinking that's how the T, the J works. I think they're going to, you know, turn it into the last minute. That's not the case. <laughs> so I'm definitely a J. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you plan your vacations? <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm the list person. When we were talking about it earlier, I'm like, yep, I have a list for everything. I check it off. I have a plan. I And I, I would never think of myself as inflexible, but I actually think I'm probably a little more inflexible than I think I am. Mm, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, that's, I mean, that's, and so in relationships that works that way. I talked about the dishes, you know, maybe the clothes on the floor, uh, these aren't really messy. They're just like, it's not in my time frame at this moment to do this thing. I'm going to go play video games or watch television and I'll get to those clothes later. Um, you know, and that does cause problems. Uh, but I've learned, I mean, I can say from my own relationship and when with the strong J, we talk about this one a lot and I do push myself. I've made it, uh, uh you know, even though it's hard, it actually is hard. <laughs> I've, I've pushed myself to have a set of tasks that are mine, that I can own, and that I know that the expectation are that they are done in a certain time frame. But I still have other things that I can do and and not be so planful about, and 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 so that gives everybody a little bit of everything. So understanding the person's, you know. Uh, preferences in these areas really does again start the conversation and i always use that because it's not the solution to everything but it definitely opens the window into into uh you know more um you know comfortable solutions if you will so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i love it and even just understanding it's normal for people to be different not everyone is like me not everyone is like you and even as, as you talked and you said your letters, and then you talked about your partner's letters and how they're completely different. Well, me and my husband, I'm sure we have the completely different letters, but it's the different combinations. And so every person's just going to have their own different and unique combination and be in a relationship with someone who has their own and unique different combination. It's true. How do you think that the Myers-Briggs um, relates to or compares to, I think that's a better word, the DISC, Enneagram, I would actually love to hear what you think of Enneagram in general, or or things like the big five, things like that. 
You know, they're, they're all interrelated. And I think, um, what's, what's different is the way they've structured the results. I think that's an important uh, point. I think all of them are useful for, uh, for specific, um, you know, for, for specific applications. I believe the Myers-Briggs and maybe the big five have universal applications where Enneagram and DISC are more tuned to teams and organizations. So uh, they, and even the, you know, I'll bring another one in that's kind of funny, you know, even the one where you determine whether you, what house you're in and Harry Potter is kind of based on the same principles. So, you know, I, um, you know, I think I'm a Hufflepuff, <laughs> but, um, you know, in the, in the Enneagrams, it's really great for uh, businesses to see. So you're not really talking about one-on-one personal relationships. You're more talking about how the team perceives you. You talk about how, um, you know, uh, groups can work together. You pick out that one person, you know, they're kind of fun because usually one, especially with the disc, there's always one person that seems to be opposite of everybody else. Whereas the whole group tends to have, uh, dimensions that work together. So I think, uh, they're, they're based on the same perceptions and principles. There's a few different items in there. Uh, but I think the way they assess the results, because, you know, they came up to set the way they present the results. It helps you, uh, you know, with organizations and teams. Now, the, as you've seen just with the MBTI, uh, there are so many dimensions and there's so many interactions with the different, um, dimensions of the, of the uh, assessment that there's a lot of different ways to, to what we say. And I guess in the businesses rotate that this, uh, assessment MBTI was, was based on what's called a factor analysis and a factor analysis um, it can be read in so many different ways. In fact, there are, are ways you rotate the factors to match up with other factors that could make, uh, make this, uh, the results completely different. So what you're seeing there is, is a, is a fantastic use of the statistical analysis to adjust these assessments for the appropriate, um, you know, the appropriate venue if you will. So I think they all are useful and, and based on very similar. So I'm, I'm so tuned into Myers-Briggs that every time I do another assessment, I'm like, this kind of like Myers-Briggs. Right. <laughs> it's kind of got the same questions. They're maybe asked a little different. They're placed a little differently in the assessment instrument, uh, but they kind of measure the same preferences. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I can see that too. I'm more, I'm more skilled and versed in the disc profile but even when I have taken the Enneagram, I can see like, oh, but the three result is also very DI of it, right? Like you can definitely see how it fits in or even with the the Myers-Briggs, like the certain parts of it. It's like, well, you know, also if I'm a dominant and if I'm more influencing, then you can see how that can come up in, in Myers-Briggs. So I like how they're all related. I will say though, I am not totally sold on Enneagram. <laughs> I don't know how much I trust like the scientific validity and reliability of the test. And it, I'm still so confused of where it came from. So I had someone on the podcast who was talking about it and I'm still thinking, meh, like I would, I would more so trust Myers-Briggs or DISC over Enneagram. Well, those have been more tested. And I think there's, there's an effort to move into the Enneagram and to begin to, uh, you know, test its, um, you know, 
consistent reliability and validity. Um, I think that the the oldest personality assessment, obviously, is Myers-Briggs MBTI. It has its critics. Uh, some people liken it to, for instance, they think it sounds more like, uh, uh, you know, um, you know, may sort of more sounds like reading the stars than it does science, but it's science. Uh, and when you uh, actually take the assessment, you're taking, you know, a battery of questions that have been kicked around and, and changed due to the statistics over about 40 years. So it's really actually about 45, maybe almost 50 now. But this is pretty reliable and valid. But again, that's that's the caveat. It does not assess everything that has to do with the personality or every situation. So that's, that's really the take, that's the take home, you know, for that, uh, it is, it's reliable and it's testing what it wants to test. Uh, and I think the other strength of the Myers Briggs is that it's so intuitive, you know, it, it, you can see that. Oh yeah, I can see that sexual version. I, you immediately know, Oh, I'm introverted. You know, it's, that's, that's the value of it as well. So that's, it's a, it's a, it's a good assessment for baseline, you know, conversations for sure. Where would you recommend that people go to take a proper Myers-Briggs test? You said at the beginning, you know, be sure, be wary of there's, I'm sure there's a bunch of free ones, but do you have any that you recommend that are the best? Yeah, well, um, actually there's really only one and that's the Myers-Briggs company. Uh, They used to be a different company, but the Myers-Briggs is so popular. They just uh, took the name on and bought the rights and they are the only company that owns the, uh, the rights to the, you know, to the assessment. So you need to find a practitioner who's, who's trained, uh, definitely trained, uh, who can administer and interpret the test and uh, actually have a, at least a small one hour session to go through, uh, the results. There are a whole bunch of different packages, you know, and, and you just have to sit down with a practitioner and determine which one of those, you know, makes the most sense. Um, there's, uh, and there's also, there's also one that fits every budget. So if you're in a small organization and you just need some baseline information, start those team building conversations, you can get a cheap assessment and get that done. Um, you know, practitioners have different, you know, they have different ways of, of, uh, calculating their costs, you know, and, uh, and I'm, I'm one of those people who's just real cost wary because I've worked in nonprofit and government for so many years that I'm really wary of, you know, costs. And I usually just tell people, Hey, look, do the cheap assessment and then I'll do the rest, you know, because <laughs> there's no need to buy this, you know, these $120 packages, but that might be very useful for some organizations, but they take longer to do. And there's team building packages. There's a whole bunch of different things you can do with them, but find a practitioner, there's different levels. Um, I just happened to have been doing it long enough and took enough, uh, you know, extra credits to be what's called a master practitioner in the MBTI. Uh, but I think anybody who's had some training and is certified can, can really be a good, a good, um, you know, person to talk to. Now, do you do any of the readings analysis coaching part of it? I do. Yeah, I do. And, um, uh, I usually, that's one of the first questions I ask a lot of clients, um, and, uh, is, have you had the, have you done the MBTI? Uh, and if they have it, and I think that the, that their coaching, you know, the thing they want to be coached on can be informed by the MBTI. We go ahead and we do it. Um, and, um, 
you know, there are some other, you know, there are some other assessments too, you know, in the, you were talking about Enneagram. There's also the CPI, the California personality inventory, which is really very powerful uh, for organizations and based on some of the same concepts. So yeah, with clients, I, I tend to do it. Sometimes you don't with clients. Sometimes it's not necessary or they, they come, you know, pre, you know, pre assessed with their own, they already know, uh, what their letters are and start the conversation there. So mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Well, if people want to reach out to you either at, to ask them questions or look at what it could look like for you to be their practitioner, is there a way that people can find you? Yeah. Um, I have a web page. Um, and it's, it's mostly, it's mostly geared toward, uh, the, uh, mindfulness book right now, but there's also, uh, a coaching section. You can go in and see different packages for MBTI. Um, the and also, I'm just let people know the stated prices are negotiable <laughs> because I'm wide open on that. But but yeah, I mean, go there or you can go to the MBTI Master Practitioner Network and look me up. All my contact information is there. Just updated it and and renewed um, that listing. So I'm yeah, I'm happy to talk to anybody who's really interested in digging into this. So fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Atkinson. We will put the the link to your website and those materials in the show notes for people to easily find as well. Awesome. I appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Here's my key takeaway from today's episode. We are all different and that is okay. What actually makes all of the difference in our relationships is understanding the way that we are wired but also understanding that the people we are in relationships with are wired differently. So how can we give more grace to them when they don't do what we think they should do or don't do what we would do in that situation? How can we try and shift our perspective and see things from their point of view instead of only seeking to see things from our point of view? That's my biggest takeaway. There's so many great nuggets that we had in this episode. Again, I hope you share it with a friend and please leave an honest review of what you think about the podcast. It will help us to reach even more people and get this awesome content, these amazing guests that I get the honor to speak with. It'll get this great content in front of even more people who can hopefully use it to better themselves and better their relationships. Friends, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Remember to follow It Starts With Attraction anywhere you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. The more positive reviews we get, the more positive change we can make for relationships and for individuals around the world. For show notes, updates, and the opportunity to join our email list for encouraging weekly strategies for you to become the best that you can be in all areas of your pies, go to piesuniversity.com. Again, that is piesuniversity.com. Keep working on your pies and always remember it starts with attraction. If you could rate yourself on a one to 10, 10 being extremely confident and one being confidence has fallen out the floor. You don't even know where it is. You can't see it. You can't find it. What number would you be? If you didn't score a perfect 10, that doesn't mean that something is wrong with you. It just means that there are areas for improvement. Research suggests that like attracts like. That's why I created the Best Self Course, a 30-day online course designed to help you completely reset everything 
you thought you knew about attraction, tell you the truth about what real attraction is, help determine your goals, and most of all, achieve them. Click the link to join the course now. It is guaranteed that if you go through this course and apply the principles that I will teach you, then you will see dramatic change in your confidence levels, in how you feel about yourself and how you show up in your relationships with other people and become the best version of yourself. This is not a quick fix. This is a sustainable, long-term self-evaluation accompanied by an action plan to help you get back on track and live the life that you want. You work on yourself for you. When we work on our pies, It doesn't just help us become more attractive individuals. It helps us realize that we have worth, that we have value. And as a result, our confidence increases. Our self-esteem goes up. We begin to actually believe in ourselves and realize that we have worth. That is why I created this course, to show you that you matter that you are valued, and that you can be doing things right now in your life to treat yourself that way, but also to show others that same sort of grace and kindness and confidence in your life. By completing this course, you will become more attractive to those around you, have better relationships with friends and family, become a better person within your career and occupation, find purpose and fulfillment in your life, and so much more. This is not a diet. This is not a workout routine. This is not a trending fad. This is an action plan to bring real life change. Get the first lesson for free when you sign up today. Click the link below to join now.